Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nation, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first recording of 2020. As I mentioned in last week's year, uh, last week's show, uh, the which was the Andy Campbell show, the last one of the year, was uh, covering the festive football and the Boxing Day matches and everything. Uh, we haven't been going a year yet, and uh, the growth of the channels exceed exceeded, should I say, all expectations. Uh, none of which is possible without you guys. You know the numbers, the guests, the sponsorships. Most importantly, the growth, like I mentioned. All our shows are available on uh, video at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. Uh, be grateful if you could drop us a subscription and uh, click the bell to be notified every time we upload a new show. We upload uh, three new shows a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And uh, you can find the audio versions at your usual podcasting platforms. So today's show is on football. And uh, let's not waste any more time. We'll introduce the, my guest returning today for another show football journalist, host of uh, the footy podcast, Beyond the Pitch, regular contributor to Talk Sports, Mr. Phil Brown. Welcome, Phil. Pleasure to say how you, mate. Not too bad, buddy. Thank you for coming back on. I appreciate it, mate. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure, mate. Yeah, I um, feels like last time we talked, we spent a lot of of our conversation talking about uh, a certain midfielder, and I was hoping that we'd have... uh, different subjects to talk about this uh, this time round, but um, yeah, looks like we'll have to spend a bit of time on that at least. Um, just for the people watching on YouTube, you will have noticed in the intro to the show, there was a graphic that ran, uh, which is in uh, tribute to Chris Barker, his former Cardiff City defender, uh, as well as many other clubs. He was uh, tragically found dead on New Year's Eve, uh, sorry, New Year's Day. Uh, we'll be discussing it more in depth in this week's Andy Campbell Championship show. Uh, obviously, Andy was uh, Chris's teammate and friend. Um, we'd just like to wish Chris's family, his daughters, his friends, and his former teammates uh, nothing but love and support. And um, just to say, if anyone's out there watching who's uh, you know struggling, or you know things are getting on top of you, please reach out. You're not alone. Uh, no matter how bad you may be feeling, uh, things will get better hopefully. Uh, and I'll drop some links in the episode description, which can uh, you know help you move forward. And my DMs are always open on Twitter and the podcast page on Facebook as well. 
Okay, uh, I just wanted to mention that quickly. Um, obviously, it's tragic and uh, it's not the way we want to start the new year. But uh, yeah, so let's switch over to football. Um, like I said, the last time we were around, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, Paul Podka. Paul Pod, Pod. Jesus Christ. Paul Podka. <laughs> Can't say his name. Uh, but I don't want to spend a massive amount of time on it because we did talk about him so much and obviously you've done a lot of podcasts and your own podcast and you've done Mm -hmm. your periscope videos talking about it at length um Mm -hmm. okay so in this most recent scenario where uh he's obviously he's gone out he's had surgery now and he's injured again has paul popka gee i can't say his name has paul done anything wrong really this, like specifically to do with this injury and obviously he played two games I think it was and then he's back out having surgery has he done anything wrong um, well what, what's being said is plausible that he's injured that he got re-injured um, but there's just so many other things that doesn't allow you to give Pogba the benefit of the doubt with his comments at the start of the season about wanting to believe um, the fact that you've got a player on an injured ankle that could easily be irritated. Um, it seems that it has been. And he's doing all these other activities that could irritate an injury for one of the most expensive footballers in the world. I mean, I, I, people take this to ridiculous polemics. And whenever you criticise him for dancing like Patrick Swayze at his brother's wedding, it's people assuming that what you're really saying is he can't enjoy his brother's wedding. I certainly enjoy his brother's wedding. There's no one criticising him for that. But when you're a professional athlete and you're out injured and you've been out injured for a long, long time, maybe you don't want to be uploading videos, even if they're harmless. It's the optics of it. Maybe you don't want to be uploading videos of doing everything but playing football. Yeah, and I think what doesn't help him is literally, I think, about a week before or even a couple of days before you had this confusion about his surgery and this sort of re-aggravating his injury. You've got his agent saying how he wouldn't, you know, send any players. He wouldn't send Maradona or Maldini to Manchester United. Mm-hmm. And then literally a day or two later, you've got Ollie in the the pre-game interview saying, or his people have told him to have a surgery, which kind of, I think, aggravated people's view on it because that was interpreted as the club don't necessarily want him to have the surgery or... You know, maybe it was badly worded, but it, I don't think those two things helped the situation in terms of the way it was viewed, you know, certainly from fans of Manchester United. But the real problem here is why do you need to allow this? Um, Paul Pogba is doing... I mean, I don't blame him for wanting to leave. If I was Paul Pogba, I'd want to leave too. If you consider yourself to be a world-class footballer, why would you want to stay at Manchester United? They're doing nothing to demonstrate that um, they're uncomfortable with where they're at. They're doing nothing to send a message to their current players to stay where you are uh, because we're going to improve. Most likely, they won't send anyone in this window. That'll be two out of the last three windows that Solskjaer has been there. They haven't sent a single player. So um, the fact that they're being held to ransom by Pogba in this, in this way is entirely their own fault. It's their own fault because... Manchester United don't work like a typical football club. A typical football club with a football player 
wasn't was being insubordinate or, or breaking dressing room rules, you would get rid of that player. But because you need to look at everything through the lens of profit, um, Pogba is is coddled. Uh, Solskjaer is told you have really no ability to take a hundred and fifty million pound asset and do whatever you want with him. Uh, Glazers wouldn't allow that. Woodward wouldn't allow that. But what it does say, unfortunately, is it creates a a problem in the dressing room. It undermines the manager's authority, which means players don't take him serious. And um, you know, you know, they keep talking about they want to go back to the cultural reboot, to go back to the days of Ferguson. But under the, under Ferguson, Ferguson was absolutely adamant. He was the most important person at the football club. He himself booted Pogba out. Uh, if, well, certainly he didn't agree to the terms for him to stay. Um, and and he's done that with numerous big players, but that's not the case anymore. So United are cherry picking the past of what parts they actually want to adhere to, and then the rest, uh, well, we'll just discard that. Um, so uh, it, ultimately, the real problem is United are indulging this, and Pogba can do what he wants because he's well aware of how he's viewed. He knows he's got the backing of Woodward, ultimately, uh, Pogba. Um, I mean, yeah, like Fergie got rid of. Stam, when he was at the absolute top of his get peak of his game, he was still pretty young. He was one of the best defenders in Europe, if not the world. He, I think, it was a book. If I'm correct, that he wrote a book or something along those lines. He didn't, Fergie yeah. didn't agree with it, and you know, he I mean, gone. that's the reason. That's the reason that's given. But ultimately, the real reason that Stam was sold is he never needed the money. Uh, they came to Ferguson and said someone's going to have to be sold. They interviewed Jeff Stam and asked about this. Um, because he talks about all the myths and misconceptions about what actually really happened, and hence the reason why he needed to replace them with a free transfer and Laurent Blanc. So ultimately, um, I'm, I don't know if the book, of course, had anything to do with it, but uh, I don't believe players should be releasing books while they're playing anyway. No. Um, but uh, I think you can do all that afterwards, but ultimately, he needed, needed the money. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the, my opinions uh, about the mess that United are in is uh, is Woodward is a big part of that. Um, and a couple of seasons ago, I think it was not last summer, but the summer before, he rushed off this preseason tour, made sure all the media were aware that he was leaving this preseason tour. And he said something in this, that same transfer window that Man United can do things in the transfer, with, with, uh, transfer market <clears throat> that other clubs can only dream of. I think that was the, you know, I might be paraphrasing slightly, but that was the, the general consensus of the quote. Now, I don't think they have done anything in the transfer window that no other club can do for a very, very long time. Um, if ever, really. I mean, well, you could argue maybe that Rooney, at the age he was, not many clubs had spent that amount of money on a young, you know, 18-year-old player. I can't think of a, an example where I think, wow, you know, they've gone and kind of done, no one else could have done that. Maybe the only thing they've done that no one else could have done is wasted a billion pounds on absolutely yeah. nothing. <laughs> um, I mean, you've got an executive vice chairman that runs the football club who keeps telling you that change means implementing a new coach, not a manager, a coach, remember that? Um, and uh, everything's going to get better. Look, one of the things that you need to master that is using market slogans uh, and making sure you buy time. Patience, rebuild, all this bollocks that just is absolute nonsense. You know, that, wait a minute, Solskjaer may only have been here 
a year, but we've been here seven years. He's still the person making all the decisions to football club. Yeah. So why does anyone think anything will change? You know, when they say it's hard to get players in January, they say it's the same. They say, they say it in the summer too. We didn't get the players we wanted because it's hard to get them. Some clubs make excuses. Some clubs make sense. You make excuses. You find exactly you find yourself exactly where you are right now. You you sign players. You won't, and they don't behave like a football club that's uncomfortable with where they're at. They behave strictly as a business that happens to play football. And this is uh, the the Manchester United are in this situation down to utterly grotesque mismanagement. They knew in the summer they needed midfielders. So none of what's happening today. Is down to bad luck or anything like that. This was a void gap that they chose not to address in the summer, purely for for financial reasons. Uh, and and um, so for United, they're in this situation down to grotesque mismanagement, and there's no excuse for it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm going to move on to uh, owners of football clubs in a in a minute, mm-hmm. um, and we've got a few questions which people sent in. Um, I put a post up a couple of days ago just asking if anyone had any questions specifically about sort of Man United and uh, mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm going to just go through them in a minute. Um, but one thing I was, uh, I was, when I was sort of getting ready for this show, I, uh, I looked at the show that me and you did uh, last year. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we were discussing in the football show was uh, the United looking for this director of football. Now, here we are. Eight months later, or not, I think it's actually longer than I think it's about nine and a half months later. Still no sign of it. Still no, as far as I'm aware, interviews going on. Still no real push for it. And I mean, me and you both said they needed a football person making the football decisions, not someone who's got no experience whatsoever in making those decisions in regards to signings and players. Is that the answer, or is that just another kind of excuse being rolled uh, um, around in the media? Well, I think it all depends on what the job title and, and job responsibilities of that particular individual is. United are completely rudderless. They have no sport and project. I don't like that word, but I'll use it uh, anyway so people know what I mean. They, they, they aren't committed to any particular strategy because they don't know which one looks like, which is why they keep abandoning it at every turn. Uh, we went from Moyes to Van Hal to, to Mourinho to Solskjaer and, you know, just this constant churn of managers because Mourinho finished second. United didn't really support him that summer and they started to go backwards. They dropped Van Hal after he won the FA Cup because they wanted Mourinho to have guarantee of trophies. But no thought really went into... In order for Mourinho to deliver you trophies, you have to do this, 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 this. United lost confidence in that process because they don't know what a process looks like. They know what the outcome looks like. But because you don't have football people running the football club, they don't really understand what uh, that, that strategy is and, and, and how progress is always linear. Sometimes you, you take two steps back, one step forward, two steps forward, one step, one step back. But United are, are a football club that, you don't really understand uh, how, how to implement a football process because they don't have football people on the club. So this, this what you see there is um, is not an accident. It's, it's but they don't demonstrate that they learn from any of their mistakes. I mean, how on earth Edward Bird or anyone on that board can look anyone in the eye and ask for patience is beyond belief to me. 
I mean, if you and I did our jobs with that degree of incompetence for seven years, we'd be sacked and would have no right to ask anybody to continue to believe in what we're doing. I mean, I would believe in what they're doing if they demonstrate change, if they showed, you know what, we're learning from what we've done in the past, but they don't, they, they, what happens is, because they're, they're not football people, you get ridiculous red lines. You know, so uh, you get things like, oh, we tried the Galactical route. You know, you didn't. You tried to send a couple of decent players. Um, it didn't work because you didn't put any thought into the recruitment process. So now all of a sudden, big name players are out. We're not getting off the Galacticals anymore because apparently Angel Di Maria didn't work out. What a Bastian Schweinsteiger, which is just laughable nonsense. Can you imagine Real Madrid and Barcelona having these red lines because some of their players didn't work out? Then you've got, well, we're going to go for British players because they get the club. Uh, what? Jesse Lingard? I mean, Alex Ferguson never set foot inside Manchester United before he came out. Did he get the club? Matt Busby played for Man City and Liverpool. Did he get the club? You know, this, this, this nonsense, this is exactly what happens when you don't have people that have any clue about football and don't know what they're doing. We're going to learn from the Alexis Sanchez contractual situation, so therefore we're not going to go for Christian Eriksen. You know, just because Alexis Sanchez didn't work out doesn't mean Christian Eriksen won't, but that just shows you this is exactly what you should expect from people that don't have any, don't, don't, don't know what they're doing with football. And so one bad experience is enough for them to abandon a process they don't really understand anyway. Yeah, interesting. Just one of the last things you said there was um, about Sanchez is if you'd, asked, if you'd asked an Arsenal fan, like someone who watches the games in the six months prior to him coming to United, if they thought it was a good sign-in, they would have said no. Because he had been on the decline for them for at least six months before that. Now, I can understand why United took the gamble on him mm-hmm. because he had been so good for Arsenal that you think, well, you know, maybe he'll come good. You know, he, maybe it's the wrong surroundings or, you know, whatever it may be. But to say, you know, Christian Eriksen is younger, he's got various things in, in his favour, why he would probably work. But like you say, they seem to have abandoned the the big name signings, if you like, because the uh, Di Maria didn't work out and Schweinsteiger didn't work out. Well, Schweinsteiger was never going to be uh, like this, playing forty games a season, uh, midfielder scoring twenty goals a season. If they thought that, that just again shows their complete lack of f- football knowledge. Because he was already, you know, his, his age alone would have prevented those things from happening, let alone, you know, any other sort of technical aspects. So it's, it's, it's bizarre that, like you say, seven years and they've made very similar mistakes every time. I mean, arguably, you could say, um, I saw a friend of mine was saying the other day that he thinks Moyes, of all the managers, had the most, when you look at the signings he was linked with, which is always ropey because you don't know, you know, which ones are true, which ones are not. But if you look at the signings that he was linked with, he seemed to have a plan of what needed to be improved rather than this kind of scattergun approach to just sign in a big name because it's a big name. Um, I'm not 100% sure I agree with my friend's thinking, but I can see what he's saying. Whereas then you've got Mourinho saying, that when he finished second that year with United, he thought that was the greatest achievement of his career. And people mocked him, you know, on social media and things. That that's ridiculous, pathetic, we're a Man United now. 
But ultimately, if United had backed him then and he could have built on that achievement, would they still be in the same predicament that they are now? I mean, there's no way to know. But when you look at it with hindsight, it's difficult not to think that because they've gone down again. And then you've got Van Gaal, who, you know, I thought Di Maria did relatively well. Obviously, he had a few issues off the pitch, which seemed to affect him on the pitch eventually. But there's, like you say, there's no plan going into to what they want to achieve. It's not like, um, like you say, it's that word, isn't it? The project. There's no thinking behind, right, we need these players to fit this system which the manager wants to play and these tactics it's kind of like even now it feels like Solskjaer is just signing young players and British players because he thinks that's what the fans want and the, like to go back to former glories they've got to buy young British players rather than him looking at positionally and tactically and technically what he needs to improve the, the side it, 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 I, and when I look at that, then I think, who's making that decision? You know, is it Solskjaer or is it Woodward or the board? Well, the first thing I would have asked you now is, what did they see in Solskjaer as a manager to appoint him? And surely there must have been something that stood out to Ed Woodward. Not that he was a good player. I mean, we all know what he was as a player, but you're not appointing a player, you're appointing a manager. I mean, just because someone was a good plumber doesn't mean they're a good electrician. Um, I would love to have known what Woodward saw in Solskjaer that um, made him appoint him in the first place. Um, clearly nothing. Clearly a guess. Clearly I hope this works. Um, I don't think he knows a good manager from a bad one anyway. Um, it did work for a while. And maybe Solskjaer is an interim guy. He's not someone you appoint long term. And United fans, I, I support him 100%. But I certainly understand why fans are asking questions about, look, if he ever played for United, would he ever be there? The answer probably is no, he wouldn't. Um, he certainly didn't get that job on managerial merit. But the real thing here is, and um, we talked a little bit about Pogba earlier, but um, same situation, Pogba with Di Maria and all this, with Sanchez. The problem is <clears throat> what United are doing to attract them to the club because they're not successful anymore is they're paying them exorbitant wages. And this is what you have to do whenever a, a, a football club, you and a football club are bidding for a player. And so you say to a player, listen, I know they're very successful right now. I know they're ahead of us, but come to here, come to us. I mean, what are they telling people right now? We're three years away at least from 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 uh, neither three years away from competing. How can you sell that to any top player and say, "Come here, but in three years will be good"? How can you even say that to the players that you have? You need to be really, really careful. It's not just about sending a message to new players you want to bring in. It's about keeping the players that you have as well. And Liverpool found out with McManaman and Owen. Homegrown players that not challenging for titles, you eventually lose these players. And they will do the same with Riceford, they'll have the same problem with Mason Greenwood eventually. Uh, just because they're homegrown doesn't mean anything. Um, Spurs will have the same problem with Harry Kane. So uh, eventually, you have to give them more than just money. And, and you never don't want to go down the money route anymore. Okay, that's fine. So, what are the attractions of the Manchester United at the minute? If you're a very, very good player, and if you're a very, very good player, you're going to have choices. So um, this is why I have no confidence that United will don't a they don't have the confidence to do what they need to do because really if you go back to the real problem started in 2013, two multiple things happened. 
one of the consequences of Ferguson being there so long was the club never evolved. The club, in many ways, were this massive juggernaut, but the managerial structure was stuck in a previous era. If you look at Chelsea, you look at all these other football clubs, one of the things they did was um, they were living in a modern era and they don't stand still between managers. So if a manager comes in uh, and, um, for example, when Moyes came in, he never didn't send anyone other than Fellini to the last minute. And then he goes and uh, Ferdinand Vellic and never leave the same season. They don't replace them because they're in between Point and Moyes and Van Hal. So the club stands still for months because Van Hal's at the World Cup. In this atrocious continuation management is the reason why they're in this mess. Uh, and so not properly appointing managers, not recruiting properly, not filling gaps in squads properly, all of this. So these problems go back to then, and they never really had the leadership at the club above the manager to drag them into the modern era because the people that are making the decisions at this football club don't understand what the modern era looks like in football. So this club still has never caught up. It was well, well documented, by the way, at the time, that people would say when Ferguson Nation editor effed, because mm-hmm. the recruitment, the scouting, everything is way behind. And then it still hasn't been upgraded because the people running this football club don't even know what, what, what a modern football strategy looks like, what a, a proper football club looks like. But people need to remember this is a football club, it's not a business. Just because it's money-hungry, greedy, does not mean it's not a football club. And we see United you know, take risks on the football side. They would never take on the business side, never. I mean, yeah. you just wouldn't have you wouldn't have key positions in the business side unfulfilled, and you wouldn't have some random recruitment process that changes every week. I mean, it's it's absurd. It is. It is. It is really. Uh, <laughs> really absurd is almost not a strong enough word. Um, and you're right about they wouldn't take the same risks off the pitch that they take. They have been taken on the pitch. Um, mm-hmm. So, which brings me to the first question, actually. <coughs> Um, and it is, um, they say, is uh, or they say, they uh, he thinks Fergie's to blame for the United, or he's a big part of the blame, big part of the blame for the situation that the club is in now, because in his final few years he didn't address the squad's deficiencies when he was there, and he if he, and if he couldn't, uh, because the Glazers weren't making money available for him, then he should have outed them instead of trying to play nice, or as he puts it, he says uh, he tried to manage the Glazers by kind of publicly playing nice and, you know, trying to get what he could, I I suppose. Um, Would you agree with that, that Fergie's got a big part to play in the situation the club's in now? Uh, I would go a little bit further than that, actually. Look, Ferguson was a genius as a manager, okay? Um, When you are a genius, you have some... Undesirable human qualities, I suppose. Um, and uh, Ferguson's responsible for the Glazers being at the football club. There's absolutely no question about that. And anyone who tries to argue that, just as either ignorant of history or, or has terrible confirmation bias, um, this was again uh, started with greed. Uh, Ferguson's greed over the racket of the horse, which of course caused cubic expression, which was J.P. McManus and Magner. He owned the football club at the time. Majority shareholders um, to ask the 99 questions of the board, which were very embarrassing for Ferguson because a lot of them was related to his son, Jason Ferguson. Uh, and um, 
exorbitant payments to agents and stuff like that. Um, there was a lot of other stuff going on, and I'm not going to talk about it on here, but um, it was pretty nasty. And yeah. uh, Ferguson knew, listen, whenever the Glazers tried to launch their initial takeover bid, both David Gill said that it was too, it was, uh, there was too much debt, it wasn't in the interest. Of course, it's not in the interest of Manchester United. How can you ever claim that putting a billion, billion, 750 million pounds of debt on the football club's books is in the club's interest? You know, but both Gill and Ferguson changed their tune immediately whenever it became apparent that there was something in it for them. Mm. You know, Ferguson wanted rid of the previous owners because the scrutiny was being put on, no question. And so, knew found well that the Glazers were going were, were gonna to handicap the football club, were going to uh, prostitute every bit of the club's history um, for profit. And, and, and that's exactly what they did. And Ferguson went along with that. Um, I, I do believe Ferguson would be struggling today with um, the recruitment team that he has at the football club. But um, a lot of the powers that Ferguson had have now been usurped by the board. They would never give a manager that free wheelie team. And so, um, but yes, there's no question he has a hand. And, and, and I agree, he, he should have had of them. You know, to say that he, he, he was never denied money for players is just absolutely laughable. Yeah, you know, oh, absolutely. Um, it, it, of course, we've done money for players, and so um, so the football club hasn't invested properly for years, and they want like bear in mind this is the reason why they went after David Moyes. They want to continue that process of of uh, of parsimonious investment and um, getting away with putting the bare minimum in and taking the maximum out. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get on to uh, to owners and uh, the getting passed on the bare minimum in just a second, actually. But um, <clears throat> if people wanted to find out a bit more about the the Fergie and the the Glazers coming in and that sort of thing, is there anywhere in particular or anyone who's written about that which they could find more information? Just for people like myself, who I wasn't really aware of some of that because obviously not necessarily a Manchester United fan, even though I've kind of followed them on and off because of my father. Um, mm -hmm. is, do you know of anyone who's written about that in particular, who would, you know, where people could find out sort of more information? A lot of the Red Issue archives you can find it in. Um, okay. they, they covered it extensively. And so um, if you look for some of the old Red Issue magazines, you'll be able to find quite a bit of it because uh, JP, the editor of um, Red Issue, who also started FC United with Dandy Walsh, um, they covered it extensively. And um, JP, headed up a lot of the protests against the Glazers and um, so yeah it was covered there cool okay so um, protests is another thing which I'm going to get to in a minute mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so then uh, another question just while we're on the kind of subject of the Man United and the club and the manager uh, Johnny Wish a regular contributor to the show said um, uh, Solskjaer was terrible at Cardiff City he was tactically inept lacking a plan out of his depth, is it any different currently? Well, United are definitely one dimensional tactically. Uh, <laughs> that's been their biggest problem with them trying to win games is that they don't have an alternative. To, they, once, they don't have the creative players in the middle, which really is an absolute disgrace for a football club that says um, to, to be missing key personnel like that and to be showing no sense of urgency about doing anything about it. So, Solskjaer has to take responsibility for the gaps in the squad. He's been manager there now for a while. Like I said, this would be a third window. There's no excuses for that. Uh, they should have addressed it over the summer. 
So they are one-dimensional tactically. It's all about counter-attack. They've been worked out, and I see no signs of you know being able to change that tactic uh, and find a way of winning games without having a counter-attack. You have them in big trouble, especially if you're a team that uh, will sit in against them um, because they find it very hard to break you down because they don't have the quality. Or they need someone to produce an individual piece of magic. Uh, but very rarely is a team goal made from a build-up proper uh, build-up with intensity because they just don't have the players. Um, so he has to take responsibility for that. So you, it would be a fair criticism to say he's been lacking at times. Yeah, I think so. Um, Johnny also asks, uh, does uh, Solskjaer's rant at the media before the Wolves game in the FA Cup show that he's feeling the pressure or does it show that he's got that sort of grit or nasty aside to perhaps tell some over-pampered or underperforming players, you know, what's what? Well, I didn't think it was that much of a rant, to be honest. Um, but uh, to me, it's a personification of some of the concerns that I have, is that if you're Manchester United manager and you're sitting fifth in the league, miles off, 38 points off the leaders, and you don't expect to be criticised during the wrong job, they should expect to be criticised because... These, him, Solskjaer, and everyone else at the football club should be embarrassed at the situation around and doing everything they can to change it. But what I see is a bunch of people that are quite happy with where they're at and say, well, maybe we'll get better in the future. We'll go slow with this rebuild. You know, so I'm sorry, as long as you're Manchester manager, because Solskjaer took a lot of praise in the beginning. I had no problems people passing on compliment after compliment after compliment in the beginning. So you can't get chippy whenever it goes the other way because that, that's nature. Of, of what a pundit's supposed to do, and Robin Van Persie speaking with some degree of authority. So um, I have no no issue with with Solskjaer biting back. To be fair, either, but yeah. um, I still didn't think his retort was much of a rant. But I, it was, yeah, definitely in true sense of pressure getting to him. Yeah, I think I think it probably showed a little bit of uh, irritation more than a rant for me. But I mean, he's bound to be feeling the pressure. Um, Heaven75 sent in a few tweets, so I'm going to, there's a lot of writing, so I'll do my best to kind of pick out the question. Um, but he basically said, uh, sorry, Heaven75, Heaven uh, he basically said, uh, Martial, Shaw, Pogba uh, have all been injured, a different injury with no real clear explanation as to kind of what it was, how it was caused. And then because of a thin squad not being strengthened, They've been, it's resulted in back to back injuries for McTomney and Pogba. Uh, first, it was a few weeks for McTomney, and now it's a few months. Uh, so mm-hmm. he sort of asks, Do you think training's to blame for this? Is there something, could there be something that they're, are they overtraining them or are they undertraining them? Are they not preparing them properly? Um, yeah, and that's basically the first well, part of his question. This is a problem that's always played United. United have always had massive injury lists, even under Ferguson. And when you get non-contact injuries, a lot of muscle injuries, a lot of tours. Uh, McTominay's is a contact injury. Pogba's is a contact injury. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. You can argue, are they being played too much? Possibly. Um, McTominay being over-relied on? Possibly. But contact injuries are going to happen in football. It's the, all the muscle injuries that or a legitimate concern. And this is a problem that's always plagued United for as long as I can remember. So um, I, I wish I had an answer to it. Arsene Wenger yeah. had this problem too. 
Uh, it certainly seems to follow more some coaches around quite a lot. Um, but um, so perhaps you could question the trainer Matthews Ferguson really wasn't a coach. Um, he was a manager. You know, he let people to do the coaching for him. Took nothing to do with it. So supposed to be just like under Moyes for Van Hal and all. It's supposed to be done by by specialists. But um, it does. I suppose you could argue that some people players were overplayed because how thin the squad is. Um, there's probably an argument to that, but uh, yeah, it's baffling because it's something that's followed United for years. Yeah, he also says that he's worried about Fred uh, because obviously Fred's played so many games recently mm-hmm. that he's like the one left standing, really, isn't he? Uh, other than uh, the Matic. Um, yeah. uh, okay, and he also oh the last part of his question is um, he says. He thinks uh, Solskjaer is trying too hard to copy Sir Alex Ferguson in everything that he does. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and obviously, Solskjaer is scared to have possession of the football during games and relies heavily on that kind of, like we just discussed there, with the, you know, the counter-attacking football. And then, you know, when you have teams which will sit in, like the mid-table or bottom, lower, lower league, lower sides, they, uh, they'll sit in, won't they? And they'll... You know they'll soak up any possession, and United just don't have the uh, the wherewithal in the team to get past that. Um, okay, so I just wanted to switch over really towards uh, just to finish off now, mate, uh, to to football owners generally. Um, mm. Obviously, I'm a Cardiff fan, uh, and I've got a lot of friends, family, friends, and friends who after Cardiff City changed the colour of their kit from blue to red, yeah. um, they stopped going and they haven't gone back. Um, and I sometimes people will ask me, oh, why haven't they gone back? They, they changed the colour back. Or it's, uh, or it's, that's a bit stupid. You know, stop supporting your club, which you've supported all your life for, in some cases, like 50 years, um, because they've changed from blue to red. But it's it's a bigger issue than that. And I think... The issue for, for those personally, and like I stopped going myself, was it felt like they were trying to, to whore out the club a little bit to, to make money and then take money. Um, and my problem at the time was always, why isn't the FA or the Premier League stepping in to, to, to ask these questions, like ask questions of, you know, why are these owners doing what they're doing why are they able to come and change a hundred years of history on a whim for x y and z now i i firmly believe that if cardiff city that the first time they promoted to the premier league if they'd finished 10th um and then built on that they would still be playing in red now but because they got relegated they needed to ensure that there was fans in the championship to keep that money coming in. Now, in the Premier League, there'll always be fans who will come and watch. Always. There'll be fans to replace the fans and replace the fans. But when you get relegated to the Championship, it's not as easy. And I do feel that that had a massive, uh, you know, impact on their decision, should we say. You know, the protests and all this sort of thing, obviously they did make a difference, but that's just my opinion. Now, obviously you had the Glazers, the Green and Gold campaign for years, Mm which was putting a lot of pressure on the club. And then it kind of just disappeared, really. What caused, or what caused that protest to 
to not die, but to like to stop because you, you there was a point where you had like David Beckham wearing the scarf and it was you know very, it was really seemed to be gaining steam and then all of a sudden it just disappeared and then second part of that question as well is I wanted to ask you do you think the Premier League and the FA is doing enough to protect football clubs and their fans from owners debt and whatever they feel well, like doing really clearly no uh the second part of that question I mean what the Blazers did with Man United, you could never do with the NFL. There's rules in place to prevent you from doing stuff like that. Um, you cannot do a leverage buyout of a, of, of a sporting franchise out here and then load it with that. You can't do that. You can't use limits on how much money you can take out and all that stuff. So the FA uh, Football Association were completely impotent in protecting the football clubs. Liverpool almost went bankrupt um, with underheads and delight. United were put in a disgraceful situation and only due to the refinancing in 2012 were they able to get out of it. They almost went under too. So what caused that protest? A um, couple of things. Main protagonist was whenever Wayne Rooney was under contract and was saying he was refusing to sign a contract because he wasn't getting the assurances that he needed from the board about um, ambition. And he was right. Now, he caved when he got a lot of money, which caused United fans to turn against him. Um, but um, what, what changed was United started to buy players again. They brought Van Persie in, um, and they won the league. And so the following season, so uh, 2013, which is Ferguson's last season, 2012, City won it, of course. Um, and um, so, so the, the, the Rooney signed his new contract uh, and, and stuff like that. So... That's where the momentum started to die. But they really worried the Glazers because, like you were saying about Cardiff, listen, when things are not going well, uh, fan equity is very, very important because that's what they're selling to sponsors. What they're selling to sponsors is if you sponsor this football club, our fans will love this club so much they'll buy your, your, your stuff. But you can't do that when you've got protests in the stands, which causes your ability to monetize a football club to be severely hampered. So, just like Carter's situation when things aren't going well, all of a sudden clubs listen to their fans because they're their main revenue source. So, uh, when things are going well, they don't listen to their fans. They don't care because, just like you said, there'll always be somebody else to take your seat. Um, but when, when things start falling apart, then they start listening. So, um, but, you know, the Glazers were extremely rattled by that. I know that for a fact. Um, uh, and they didn't like it, and, and uh, it affects, like I said, affects your ability to monetize a football club. But um, it, it, and honestly, I, I don't think it's far off happening again. I think uh, United fans' patience is really wearing thin with this stuff. Most people know who the, the, the main problems are at the football club, um, uh, and um, I fear if United lose against Liverpool in two weeks, badly, um, the crescendo of criticism will will will. Um, be its loudest since 2012 and I don't if this continues I don't think we're far off seeing those protests again Sadly the first thing that will happen is if say Liverpool go and beat you 4-5-1 4-5-0 the first thing which will happen is Solskjaer will lose his job and to me you know, Solskjaer's I'm not, not sure the problem happen. I, I don't Nothing? think that's going to happen no because I think um, first of all what I said about his appointment in the first place wasn't based on any proper evaluation. Secondly, I think there is a massive reluctance of Ed Woodward to admit he made a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, again, 
so it's not that they they want to protect Solskjaer, but Edward Bruno want to protect himself from more criticism, from having to explain that the owners again we've sacked another manager, and this is how much it's going to cost to do it. So, um, uh, and they sacked Mourinho after Liverpool. I do not think whatever happens, they'll do it to Solskjaer because Solskjaer takes every box. He's quiet. He doesn't force transfers. He's not going in the media, slaughtering the club, slaughtering people. He's not doing any of that. Mourinho did. So um, I think they're comfortable with it. And even if he's the worst manager in the league, uh, Woodward will stick with him because he doesn't want to admit he made a mistake. Um, the other thing I was going to say is you'd think that the Premier League and the FA would want to protect... Manchester United as a club uh, from owners saddling them with debt and like you say nearly going under because they're the, also the Premier League's cash cow in terms of you know the most widely supported club in the world etc etc so you can almost not that it's right but you can almost understand like your Hull or your Cardiff or your Leeds or your championship clubs them not really being too bothered what the owners do to those or Bury or this that and the other but you'd think that Liverpool and United, the FA and the Premier League, would, would go out of their way to make sure that they're not in a position where their owners could force them to, to kind of go under because of the level of debt that they've been saddled with. And they just haven't done that. And, um, you know, I think they deserve some of, the, some of the criticism as well as the individual owners and people like, you know, your Woodwards and other similar of characters. Course. Well, I mean, if you're if it's a football association, one of your remits is not to protect the longevity for football clubs. Then I, I, I'm, I, I would disagree that they they should be ambivalent towards any takeover, regardless of size of the football club. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I, I think um, they, yeah, I know what you mean. Sure, but um, I think uh, when you are letting hawkish owners come in and take over football clubs for the purpose of their own ATM, and you haven't prevented that, then you failed. It wasn't that long ago the FA had a rule where the directors couldn't take money out of a football club. Um, and um, now, of course, it's a playground for plutocrats and, and billionaires who really have no attachment to these football clubs, don't care about them, using them for different reasons. Um, <clears throat> and they're always the same people. They don't do interviews. The Man City owners don't do interviews. United owners don't do interviews. Chelsea owners don't do interviews. For very good reasons, they want they don't want um, transparency. They don't want to be asked questions. They don't want the answer. So when you've got owners that won't talk to fans, don't communicate with fans, that should be a red flag right away. Yeah. Uh, and the FA should do. There should be, in my opinion, the, the there should be a law that uh, uh, mandates owners sit with fans at least once a year. Uh, it wouldn't cost anything. It would, it would you know, it would show. Some type of even if they don't um, fulfil their promises, at the very least get them on record making them. The Glazers haven't done an interview in fifteen years; that's an absolute disgrace. So, um, and Woodward done two in five years with the same place. So um, that's totally unacceptable. And the FA should do more. Yeah, absolutely. They should. They should. You know, the fact that a Manchester United owner and chief executive, or whatever he is, haven't done an interview in that amount of time is disgraceful. Um, Just those with contempt and they don't yeah, care. Yeah, it's a complete lack of transparency. Um, okay, so just literally just before we finish off, I've got mm-hmm. uh, five questions, just quick fire questions for you to answer. Yes. Um, yeah. So the first one is, uh, 
Glazers or Saudi owners? I mean, <laughs> Glazers, I suppose, which, um, it's a shit sandwich with sauce or without. And, I mean, honestly, uh, Glazers, but uh, just simply because Saudi owners are utterly reprehensible. Yeah. And uh, my entertainment should not come at the cost of somebody else's life. So yeah. as much as I love Manchester United and love football, um, I don't want to celebrate the fact that these people are buying the best players in the world, but people are getting their heads chopped off, and it's just a, it's absurd. But there's also a fair argument to be said, what about China? What about all these other countries too? Um, yeah. That they violate human rights, and that's a fair share. Yeah, it's a tricky... It's a- it's a tricky, uh, tricky question, um, which has obviously got a lot of nuance to it. Uh, David De Gea, is his contract causing issues now because his form is not great? And if they did decide they want to sell him, they might find it difficult. Well, I don't think his contract is the issue. Um, De Gea has looked like this for a while, to be fair. Uh, he doesn't look anywhere near the, the keeper that he that he was two three years ago. He definitely looks like he's gone backwards. He's suffering the same fate that so many other United players are feeling, suffering from lack of confidence that leads to individual errors. And the United team are littered with individual errors. It's not a solid defence yet. Uh, there's some good players in that defence. Juan Bissaka, I, th- I, I think Harry Maguire is a, good, a very good defender, but I'm not sure he has the right partner, Lindelof. Uh, Luke Shaw need a pro- is a problem at left back, so it's no surprise to me they don't keep clean sheets. Um, I, you know, De Gea has got gaps in his game. He's not great coming off his line. He's not great with distribution. He's a very good shot stopper, but when his when when he stops winning United points from shot stopping, um, as he's done so often, then he becomes ordinary because the, the other parts of his game are lacking. So uh, very good goalkeeper. Uh, but um, definitely declined over the last year. Would you sell him if the big enough offer came in in the summer? Or yeah, in the summer. Yeah, for in- the first time, probably in, in, since watching United, I haven't been concerned about that with the hair exit. Mm-hmm. I think Dean Henderson's a very, very good goalkeeper. So is Sergio Romero, but I wouldn't trust Sergio Romero week in week out. I still think he's good for a game here, a game there, a game here, a game there. Um, but I, I, I think you know, they're going to have a, a big decision to make because they're not going to want to lose Dean Henderson. And, um, but, you know, it's still a risk because playing for Manchester United is different than playing for Sheffield United. The, the scrutiny, the pressure, everything is totally different. And Dean Henderson, listen, he made a blunder against Liverpool, which gave Liverpool three points at Sheffield United. If he'd done that at United, he would be on the back page of every newspaper. He'd get slaughtered. He, he would be under immense pressure. But it went basically unnoticed. So the, there's a massive difference between playing for Sheffield United and Manchester United. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which club is best positioned to challenge uh, City and Liverpool over the next few years? Which club? Uh, yeah. Which club is best positioned to challenge City or Liverpool over the next few years? I don't think years? there's anyone best positioned. I think outside of City and Liverpool. I mean, you could argue Leicester, but I assume that Leicester will lose players and find it very difficult to recruit with the same level of quality. Um, but you know, you go outside that United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, none of them look convincing to me, none of them look anywhere near close to challenging City or Liverpool. So, I don't think anyone right now, 
Yeah, I think I agree with that, to be honest. Uh, three players at Manchester United who are good enough and three players who are not. Three players that are good enough. Um, Mason Greenwood's good enough. Uh, Scott McTominay's good enough. Fred has become good enough. Uh, three players that are not. Luke Shaw's not good enough. No question about it. Um, Jesse Lingard's not good enough. Andreas Pereira's not good enough. Fair enough. And... Uh, Lastly, final question, and it's a bit of a doozy. Why does everyone, except Liverpool fans, so desperately not want Liverpool to win the league? For me, um, primarily down to the sanctimony of Liverpool fans, with that stupid saying that we're, this, we're Liverpool, it means more. And this whole idea, they're so in love with themselves as fans, that they're so much better than everybody else, and that they bring culture to football, and that their football club means more to them than it means to other people. It's just... just Bars and sanctimony, they're in love with themselves, but they all watch themselves singing. They'll never walk alone, and then they sit in the arse for the next 90 minutes. Uh, so many myths are in a football club, like they deserve to be where they are. The Jurgen Klopp's a brilliant manager, they've done an unbelievable job. The team reminds me an awful lot of Ferguson's team, where uh, they're greater than the sum of their parts. They don't know when they're beaten. They, they, they look, Klopp has done an unbelievable job there, and, and they deserve every bit of praise they get. But uh, as a football club, you know, it's interesting that they try to whitewash a lot of things out of their history um, that, that are quite embarrassing, yeah. so, which, which doesn't fit the narrative of them being this um, all-encompassing, loving football club that welcomes people from all cultures and all backgrounds and all this nonsense. Because when, we've been, when they've been put to the, pe- the test of whether they'll abandon tribalism for, um, for, for values, we found out that they won't. Yeah. Um, so uh, that primarily is the reason because we're going to see it over and over and over again they're going to want a special trophy and then you'll, you'll have a thousand poems being written and you'll have all this nonsense about how everybody really wanted them to win it because everybody's really secretly at the Ripley's Board <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I just thought of something actually if you've got 10 seconds extra um, what did you what did you make of uh the Monday Night Football, I don't know if you saw it actually because you're based in America, where uh, they were talking about the Patrice Evra and uh, uh, Luis Suarez incident where it was, I think it was Carragher, Neville and someone else, I forget who it was. Oh, it was Evra, wasn't it? With, with regards to... Oh, on Sky Sports, yeah, they, they, had, they did like a Monday Night Football thing on Sky um, okay. and they basically brought it up to Carragher and Carragher kind of apologised and it was the first time I've seen anyone from sort of linked to Liverpool admit it was specifically regarding the t-shirts that they had made, um, you know, supporting Suarez and that. And it was the first time I'd seen anyone from the club kind of admit that it was probably a bad idea and they shouldn't have done it. Um, and it was just interesting. I just wondering if you'd seen it really. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard this before, but, it doesn't, it, it, there's no excuse for it. This wasn't that long ago. This wasn't the yeah. 70s. This wasn't the 80s. This wasn't even the 90s. So it wasn't like, uh, and it was in 2010 or something. Um, it wasn't like back then, there wasn't a lot of awareness about racism. Um, yeah. They were dead wrong. And they were tone deaf. And uh, a lot of them still refused to accept that Luis Suarez was being racist, which is just disgraceful to me. And once again, like you said, demonstrated that tribalism will always win when it comes to these. The, it comes to 
their values being questioned. Um, it, so to me, um, there's no excuse for it. And Jimmy Carragher doing the obvious of apologising. Look, they were warned and warned and warned back then that this was not the way to go, that this was embarrassing for the football club. I don't know how it, what message it sent to the likes of Glenn Johnson and everything and their team. It must have been embarrassing beyond belief. Because i got to show you this. If I, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I live in America and I've had things said to me as an immigrant that were extremely hurtful. Uh, and had I played for a team that said back the bigots against immigrants, I would have been so offended beyond belief. Mm. I would have thought that if you ever thought for one minute how this feels to be me having to support yeah. this, with the black players in Liverpool have been made to support Luis Suarez, who's been openly racist, which quite frankly was a disgraceful situation to put them in in the first place. So they should apologise to them first before anybody else. Uh, and then, of course, as a football club, Liverpool should apologise and, and, and maybe do some reparations, maybe do something for charities, do but, uh, throw away apology on Sky means nothing. Yeah, and it's, it was basically like his Carragher apologising, you know, to Evra and, and admitting that it was a bad decision with the T-shirts and stuff. But, you know, what about Liverpool? And I saw a lot of people, people praising Carragher for apologising, which, all right, you know, I, I suppose technically he didn't have to apologise and he didn't have to do that. He should have, and it was the right thing to do. But, like, where's the apology from, you know, the club and the, this, that and the other? It just is it, infuriating the more I think of it. But, um, yeah, we'll finish there, mate. Um, Yes, tell people tell people where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find Beyond the Pitch. Uh, you can find Beyond the Pitch at Beyond the Pitch on Twitter, or you can find it on BTP Media, which is Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, all that there. You can find a podcast on there, and you can find me at Malakians. That's M A L A C H I A N S. Excellent. Thank you for joining Thanks, me, Phil. Phil. You can uh, find Thanks, me Phil. at. Sorry, at AceCast underscore nation and uh, facebook.com slash AceCast nation. Cheers, guys, and thanks for joining me. Podcast Network.